Greetings, everyone. It is me, D.B. Spitzer, and we have a special reading this episode. Our most recent guest, Sarah Walker, has been kind enough to donate one of her readings to us. So, here we go. And remember, uh, copper cow coffee, get warm, throw some into a, or, or you know, drink it cold. Uh, throw, throw a couple into a uh, mason jar, pour a bunch of water in there, let it seep overnight in your fridge, or, I don't know, in your root cellar. And, uh, hey, nice big cup of coffee when you wake up in the morning. Copper cow coffee, look for us in the show notes. And also remember, Taza Chocolates, made in Lovecraft Country. Uh, <laughs> stone ground chocolates and uh, vegan on top of it. So, yeah, you can have your chocolate and eat it too if you are lactose intolerant, such as myself. So, yeah, Taza Chocolates, straight out of Lovecraft Country. All right. Uh, let's start the show. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, T.B. Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos. Its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits. Like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leanings. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Don't Listen to This by Sarah Walker. Don't listen to this. I mean it. I really mean it. Go on. Just go on ahead. Skip to the next part of the podcast, wherever you are listening to this. Or turn the dial on your radio, find another podcast to listen to until I'm done, and then come back. Point is, do yourself a favor and move along. Are you still here? You are, aren't you? You're still here, even if I, after I warned you, even after I told you not to listen. Still you listen. I know you are. You want to know how I know you are still here? Because I would be. I know what I would do when offered a bit of prohibited knowledge. Like Eve, I would take a bite of that forbidden and terrible bitter fruit. I would do it even knowing that in biting it, I would be changing my fate forever. Even if in knowing that by biting it, I would be damning millions. No, I wouldn't leave. I would have to know. It's a bit funny, you know, even now, even after everything that's happened and is continuing to happen, I would still have to know. And I wouldn't change wanting to know, even after the way the ending turned out. And despite how any of this will affect you, I would still look in that Pandora's box. I would still tell this story. I would still betray you. That's the sickest part of this whole mess. And that is probably why they chose me. My apartment is still dark, and Joe is sleeping, safe in unconsciousness and unawareness of these ones and their existence. I can see them on the wall as I write this, black cutout shapes watching. Maybe that's just my lamp casting a shadow on the white plaster wall. But didn't it just move? Is it shifting? I need to get this out before it's too late. 
Where they came from, I do not know. I only know that sometime a few months ago, they began to appear in my dreams. At first, they were simply observers on the edge of my perception. I have vague memories of awakening from a disturbing dream whose nature escapes me, but I know it involved at least one of these things watching me from sidelines of my nightmares with ravenous intent. These dreams didn't last, though. Soon these things were active agents in the dreams. I would find myself walking along Dolly-esque plateaus when a sudden inexplicable fright would come over me. Turning, I would see a black shadow smoothly striding along next to me, its lithe form a river of black smoke. It seemed to be trying to tell me something because I could hear the murmuring sound of a low diesel engine. But instead of listening, I of course would panic, waking myself in a full-blown terror, my heart thumping so loudly my ears would ring. God, thinking about those dreams, I'm starting to sweat even now. Describing that kind of fear is hard. Fear is so damned subjective. What scares one person is nothing to another. But believe me when I tell you that these dreams were some of the most horrific I have ever had. It wasn't like anything happened in the sense of my being stabbed or killed or something so basic or coarse. Instead, the terror was, be was because something was there, and though my conscious mind would try to sneak logic into the madness of the unconscious dreaming and whisper that the feeling I was having was only REM, deep inside I knew that it was not. Deep inside I knew it was something else. But like all things, including intense fear, it would fade as would the ringing, and soon after waking, my heart rate would go back to normal, and I would begin to doubt the reality of the experience. It is strange, though. There's always this undertone of electrical buzzing in my head now. It came that first time I dreamt of them, and you know what? That sound is never completely gone anymore. Maybe they're just tuning me in like a living occult radio. Understandably, I started to hate sleep. At first, I tried everything to get rid of the dreams. I got prescribed antidepressants, but those had no effect except to make my eyes sting and give me a headache. Oh, and I gained eight pounds. Next, I tried sleeping pills, but all they did was make it so that when I became aware in the dream, kind of like you do when you have a lucid dream, the pills made it so I couldn't force myself awake without feeling drunk and heavy-limbed and ultimately falling right back into the same nightmare, tangled in its sticky web that I could not see or avoid sleeping pill refusing to let me escape its chemical grasp. And you know what? On top of none of these methods working, trying to stop the dreams, it only made them worse. Soon I was staying up until one, two, three, four in the morning to avoid sleep. I would then force myself awake around 6 a.m. to try to stop that late sleep dream state before it happened. The problem with doing that, though, is your mind really needs deep REM sleep. That's when your brain washes toxic protein and waste out of the organ so that you can think and function the next day. And if you don't do it, and you stay up for days and days, you're going to start to get a little strange. Maybe even start seeing things if you're sleep deprived enough. In fact, you stay up long enough, it'll kill you. But those dreams were so horrible, I think I would have done anything to stop them. <laughs> I guess, in fact, I am doing anything to stop them, actually. Anyway, one of the ways that I would keep myself awake at night was by watching late-night TV. Mostly, I would tune into horror films. I mean, I am a horror writer, after all, right? Other horror lovers will get this, but you guys who don't watch horror a lot, you guys might not. 
But watching horror movies helps me to relax. For me, seeing a monster contained in the television, seeing it located in a geographical space of fantasy, it made it so that I could handle those dreams and I finally would pass out and get at least a few hours of dreamless sleep before the shadow people would arrive again and haunt me, crushing my chest, staring at my eyes with their deep, unsettling hollowness. This, of course, would always force me back awake in terror. One night after I'd been living like this for a few weeks, I was up and I was watching that old Boris Karloff movie, The Mummy. I've seen it multiple times. It's one of my favorites. I even know a little dialogue from it. So as I was watching, I was starting to drift off when something scurried or moved off in the background of the sepia-toned film. I was instantly wide awake. Had I just discovered a fluke in one of the most famous horror movies of all time? I dragged my finger along the phone and reversed the scene. Yes, there it was. But now it wasn't something small, just scurrying. Now it looked like a man's silhouetted shape in the background of a scene where Boris Karloff is talking to Ardeth, a woman he believes is a reincarnated form of his lover from a past life. I've seen this scene so many times I cannot tell you the number, but never had I noticed that shadowy shape in the corner before. I brought the phone closer to my face to try to see if I was mistaken somehow, and at first my mind tried to make sense of it. It had to be the Karloff character casting a shadow on the ground, admittedly at a weird angle. Maybe I was only just noticing it now because I was watching the film on a smaller screen. But then it moved, turning towards me and revealing itself to be far too thick to be only a shadow. It was too darkly pregnant. And most importantly, it was anthropomorphically shaped. It jumped toward the camera, fully obscuring the rest of the actors, making the entire scene go black. I tried to shout in fear. I couldn't help it. But I couldn't move. It was like every single one of my muscles in my body had been dipped in freezing mercury. I couldn't even throw the phone away from me. Luckily right then though, Joe walked in, and when I looked back at the screen, the film was back to normal. Confused, I scanned the film while Joe asked me why I'd shouted. I didn't want to tell him about the dreams. Even thinking of those shadow people made me feel like somehow that would call them back. I felt like as long as I denied their existence, they couldn't have real power over me. I knew somewhere deep within my mind that only in believing them, in them, thereby giving them the energy to feed, only then would they be able to hurt me. So I lied, saying I'd had a bad dream about losing my job. Maybe he knew I was lying, though, because he looked at me oddly and he said nothing more. He is good like that. He understands that when you truly love someone, some things are best left unsaid. After we got into bed together and he turned off the lights and he began snoring, did I really start to think about what was happening to me? And I knew. A black, dread-like tsunami of shadow came over me. This was not the last time this sort of thing was going to happen. In fact, it was going to increase in frequency. Something told me that these experiences were leading up to something else. And I knew that this was right. I knew that whatever it was, it was trying to break through that line drawn between us that divided our two worlds. And I knew it was going to succeed. And I knew that I was the prey in this scenario. And I was powerless. I was terrified. I pushed it away, of course, as soon as the sun hit my face. And life kept going on. No one ever tells you that. No one ever tells you that in the midst of a breakdown or a war, life keeps going on. You eat, you have good days, you have bad days. Soon I was back to looking at it from a, an observer point of view, a scientist point of view. Time making me able to distance myself from the exquisite terror of these beings. 
I started to try to find a reason for the occurrences, a non-paranormal reason. I looked up sleep paralysis and decided finally, when all other possibilities were shown to be unlikely, that this, dis this must be the disorder I was experiencing. Certainly shadow people didn't exist. That couldn't be right. Living in some alternate dimension and feeding on fear. No, they didn't exist. I would keep saying this no matter how much my mind was screaming that they did. Obviously, I'd lucid dreamed while watching The Mummy, and when it changed to a nightmare, I experienced sleep paralysis. You know, that's the other funny thing about paranormal happenings. People constantly argue that if real, if, if these things were a real thing, if ghosts and magics, if, like demons existed, then people would be seeing that paranormal stuff all the time. There would be videos and photos. There would be stories of near-death experiences when paranormal entities almost got people. But wait a second. Has it ever occurred to you that we do have those pieces of evidence? Go to YouTube. Go to Google. Type in shadow people. Go ahead. I'll wait. Did you notice how many videos there were? Hundreds. Thousands. Could all of those videos be fake? I mean, think about it scientifically. Statistically, even. How likely is it that 100% of those videos about shadow people are faked? And then realize that even if 1% of those videos of supposed shadow people sightings are real, that means shadow people do exist. Even if one of the videos is real. I want you to consider the implications of that realization. Maybe they're beings from an alternate dimension. Maybe they're ghosts or demons. But whatever they are, they are not harmless. Don't ever think that they can't hurt you. Because after doing research, I promise you that they most certainly can harm you. And perhaps that is their whole point. Maybe they are feeding off us. I have found video after video, article after article, of people being terrorized by these shadow creatures. And it happens all over, from Asia to Africa to Europe. These figures are always the same. And some of the people who experienced these things and that were plaguing them even ended up dying. Recently, a man made a movie even about these people's experiences with them because he himself suffers from them. And people really do die. How, you ask? Well, most often it's from suffocation, though sometimes there's no clear cause of death. In the case in cases where a person suffocated, the medical examiners will say that the person simply stopped breathing while they were asleep and boom, they subsequently had a heart attack and died due to the, due to the lack of oxygen. So then the question that came to me was, well, why? Why won't people accept that humans might not know everything? I mean, take infrared light for a minute, just because we can't see it, just because we didn't evolve the capacity to see it and we need a special tool to see it, does that mean it doesn't exist? Or how about radiation or viruses? Just because you can't see those things with the naked eye, that doesn't mean they don't exist. So once again, why don't people admit these things might be real and might be a very real danger? I'll tell you why. People tend to disregard anything that interrupts their thin thread of reality, myself included. They simply won't allow it to exist, even if it is screaming two inches from their face with a bloody skull and black holes for eyes, even if it is sucking their souls dry each night when they sleep. It's simply a case of cognitive dissonance. You're trained to believe reality is a certain way, and if you suddenly find that it is not at all the way that you have been told it is, that it is not predictable, that it is not solid, that it is not the stable thing that everyone around you is insisting that it is, you will simply disregard the new frightening information and go back to hiding your head in the sand. You're probably wondering what happened to me after that. 
Well, I grew used to the shadow things plaguing my nightmares. I slowly adapted to sleeping only a few hours each night. Occasionally, I'd see one of them in a film or photograph, but I managed to continue in disbelief, and I told myself it was just a hallucination, a product of my overwrought imagination. And maybe that would have continued if I wasn't married. Maybe I would have just gone along with these night terrors, and maybe they would have just slowly fed on me, and I would have simply faded away and died mysteriously. That is, if Joe hadn't been there to see it, too. But he was. One night, a few days ago, I awoke to Joe standing over me, shaking me. Turn off your damn computer, he said, his eyes groggy and bloodshot from watching TV in the front room. Confused, I looked around the bed to see if I'd fallen asleep playing a walking simulator game. I do it all the time. But my computer wasn't there, and then I remembered that I hadn't been playing a video game. I'd been so tired I'd simply laid down and gone out like a light. I went straight to bed, Joe. I didn't play a video game, I yawned. Jesus, why'd you have to wake me up? His face suddenly shifted, a hard edge taking over. Years of literally doing nothing but living on a motorcycle have made him a little hypervigilant. He walks over, he walked over to the side of the bed and grabbed the baseball bat that we keep there in case someone breaks in. No one is here, Joe. If there was someone in the house, don't you think the dogs would have growled? Please let me go back to sleep. I groaned, exhausted beyond reason by the chronic sleeplessness and nightmares. No, I heard someone talking. I know I did. He said as he turned and began walking around, turning the lights on, flipping the bed spread up and looking beneath the bed but finding no one, his left hand gripping the bat tight. He said you heard someone speaking. It was probably me, Joe. Sarah, I'm not joking. I heard you speaking, yes, but I heard someone else in here too. What? I said. I heard them responding to you in a man's voice. Confused and more than a little creeped out, I sat up. I'm serious, Joe, don't scare me. I must have just been talking in my sleep. Joe looked at me. And doing impersonations of a man? I know you used to act, Sarah, but this was definitely a man. No matter how hard you tried, you could not fake that voice. Though the room was warm and I was wrapped in blankets, I was suddenly very cold. I watched him pace, my anxiety rising. He rounded the room one more time, finally opening the closet, even looking in there, but there was nothing. He walked out and I could hear him as he went through the whole house, finally coming back round after he was satisfied no one was there. He got into bed with an odd look, but then he smiled. <laughs> well, at least I didn't sleep in the chair, he remarked and turned away from me. I was scared, but I didn't want him to know that the strange stuff that had been happening to me was plaguing me still, so I tried to sound interested instead of frightened. Uh, you were probably dreaming, Joe. I touched his back, to which he flinched. Listen, Sarah, I wasn't asleep. I was in the living room, watching TV. The dog started to growl. I got up, and as I went into the bedroom, I heard it. I know I heard a man. He rubbed his eyes. I thought of the odd shadow people I'd been seeing in my dreams and in the films, even when I knew that I was completely awake. Did you hear what was being said? I asked as he shifted position again to try to get comfortable. Oh, only a little, but that's why I woke up. I bit. Okay, I said. What was it saying? But Joe didn't respond. Growing irritated, I pushed his back again. What did it say? Joe rolled over halfway. He turned his head to look at me. The voice said that if you don't kill yourself soon, that they're going to start taking everyone you care about one by one. Well, of course, after that, I could not sleep. I would lay in bed night after night, and finally the toll on my body became too great. And last night, I finally slept. 
This dream was different. I was in a place I can barely describe. It was like an ocean of static, and I could feel electricity all around me. It was like swimming in hot, carbonated water. As I moved through this weird medium, I suddenly realized that I could hear someone pacing me just out of sight. When I moved, they would move. I didn't know yet I was dreaming. The sleep was too deep. I was only confused, not yet frightened. But then they appeared. Like a flickering black wind, they came in and out of focus, and each time they faded and reappeared, they'd be closer. I tried to move to run somewhere in this weird place, but I couldn't move very well. And the more I tried to get away, the heavier my limbs became and the harder it was to breathe. Suddenly, I, felt the, I fell and the electric field vanished. Now I was simply hanging in a dark place, floating in black ether. And I could hear something sniffing. It was moving around me, growling, a deep sub-bass noise that set my teeth on edge and made my hair stand on end. I tried again to sit up, but could not. I tried to scream, but could not. And then I felt it, a heavy, cold weight crawling on my body, sharp nails poking into my flesh as it moved higher and higher. But I still couldn't see it. I still couldn't move my head to position it so that I could. I screamed in my head that it was just a dream, but nothing I did would bring me out of the unconscious state. I felt that living weight as it settled on my chest. I looked up and I could see two eyes the color of a live hot coal spat from a roaring fire. It looked at me and I knew that it knew that I was awake, though I was dreaming. And it spoke. You know what we want. The voice was a deep man's voice, just the way Joe had described it. I tried to shake my head no. I wouldn't kill myself for these creatures. I'd been down that self-destructive road before, and there was no way I was going to be tricked again, especially by my own subconscious. Finally, I managed to shout, no, at the thing on my chest. And suddenly I knew. Suddenly I understood. This thing could not be killed. This thing had been around for millennia. It was a thing born of fire when we were made from clay and dust. And now that it had locked onto me, it would not leave until it got its fill. Unless, it whispered, you know, you know, and I realized I did. It slowly crawled off me then, and I found myself laying in bed, a thin gray shaft of morning light washing in. I sat up and ran over to my computer. Joe was still asleep. I could hear him snoring. I thought of all the people I love, my mother, my siblings, my friends, Joe. I thought of what I would do to protect them. These things... These shadow people, they want to be fed, and to feed, they need people to believe in them. How best might I get people to do that very thing? So I began to write. I told you at the beginning, didn't I? I told you not to listen to this story. I warned you, but still you listened. And I knew you would, and maybe that makes me a terrible person. But I know I'm safe now, and they won't bother me anymore if I just do this one thing and share their existence with the world. A bit of advice, though. When they come tonight, don't resist. Just let them take a little. You have so very much life in you. You can share a bit, can't you? It's better for us all. Thank you for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. That was Sarah Walker. Check out find more from Sarah in the show notes. And if you're one of her Kickstarters, hey, you're lucky. That book's coming pretty soon from what I understand. All right. Thank you once again. And check the show notes for any information. 
like, follow the people who are on this show and support speculative writers, folklorists, and, and game designers, and everyone else. And hey, if you want to help support us, links are in the show notes. Thank you again so much. And stay squiggly and keep it weird.